We are jumping into another series. We got this one and one more to go. It's a series called Rise Up. And what we've been looking at are the incredible stories of Jesus' encounters with different people after the resurrection. I think it's been incredible. We're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, I just wanted to take a second to say there's like a couple big things that I just want you to be aware of. One is we haven't celebrated graduates since 2020. It's one of those things that kind of like got lost in the shuffle of the pandemic, and we're bringing it back. So what we want you to know is that if you are or know a graduate who has graduated anything since 2020, well, not like fourth grade, because can we all agree that fourth grade graduations are like the lamest? <laughs> Somebody said, oh, I, I went to all my kids' fourth grade graduations, and I clapped, but I still thought, what, why, what? I think when I graduated fourth grade, I got a slap on the back in a about time or something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, but if you know of someone or you have graduated high school, college, a trade school, um, anything, got a degree of any type since 2020, we want to celebrate you. You can jump onto the app we have called uh, Church Center. You can search that in the App Store or on Google Play and just find our church. Or you can go to our website and on the top of our page in the menu, there's a spot called Events. And if you click on that Events, it'll take you to that place to register for that. Even if you can't be here on the Sunday we're going to celebrate it, I would encourage you to just register and let us know. We have a gift for the graduates. We want to make sure we get everybody and don't miss anybody. Also, on that same page, you will find a registration thing for we're trying to grow our absolutely incredible kids' ministry team at both locations. Uh, it's a challenging thing, and we do it in a way that you don't sign up and you're stuck. Have you ever been to church where you sign up and you're stuck? Like, they're like, you're like, how long we got to serve? And they're like, till Jesus comes back. <laughs> you ever been in one of those? We don't do that. We don't do that. We do like uh, one Sunday a month kind of thing. Keep everybody on rotation so you're not missing church, you're not missing anything, you're just serving uh, occasionally in this really incredible, powerful ministry. If kids don't like church, man, the future is bleak. And if we aren't investing in kids, then guess what? Their parents aren't gonna come and we're not gonna, we might as well pack it in like and go find somewhere else to do something on a Sunday. So that's a really important ministry of our church, and both locations need like an hour a month or every other month from a few new people that you don't have to know how to teach, you don't have to be a teacher, you don't have to be anything. Just love Jesus, love kids, and, uh, and we will hook you up with all that important stuff. Let me pray for our service. I know we're kind of like got a lot going on this morning. I apologize for that. And we'll get into this message. I'm going to have to fly through it. I got a lot. And I'm, we're like crushing the time already. So uh, would you just pray with me? God, we thank you for these spaces we get to gather where um, we can kind of clear our hearts and our minds from distraction and uh, listen for your voice and look into your word. I pray that as we do that this morning, you give us clarity and hope and peace strengthen those who need strengthen and encourage those who need encouragement. We thank you 
that we have this time together. Would you move in this space and in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. This one is called Rise Up Out of Failure. I actually called it The Comeback, and then I remembered that I've been naming every one of these sermons in this series, Rise Up. So you call it whatever you want, Rise Up Out of Failure or The Comeback. And what we're doing is we're jumping into the story in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible or phone and you want to follow along, it's a great, uh, we encourage you to use your phones. I use the YouVersion Bible app because it's free and it's pretty solid and free always wins. And uh, it's, it's a pretty great app if you want to follow along on that. Um, but I want to jump into the end of the story we kind of began last week. Last week we talked about uh, the comfortable spaces and the fallbacks we end up in when things get uncomfortable and how your comfortable fallbacks can be good or bad. And it takes a, a serious amount of self-awareness to understand if you are just escaping or if you are getting comfort. God is a God of comfort. He wants to give you comfort. It's a good gift from him. He wants you to find rest and comfort, things that are in decreasing amounts in our society today. But sometimes we take the good things that God wants us to give and we misuse them and they end up becoming traps for us. And if we're just falling back into comfortable spaces to escape or avoid, it's not good. So we talked about that last week. The disciples have went out fishing, and they hit the water, and they were like, all right, what are we going to do now? Like, they had seen Jesus since his resurrection. They weren't sure what the direction was for their future. They were filled with uncertainty and maybe a little confusion, maybe a little nostalgia, maybe for whatever reason they wanted to jump back into what they had known, which was their fishing boat. They're out, they get skunked, Jesus shows up on the beach, says, hey, try, try dropping your net on the other side, and uh, they do, they catch a ton of fish, and they go in and they meet Jesus and have breakfast on the shore with him. We're, we're jumping into that space right now in John chapter 21, and I want to read just verse 7 to show Peter's reaction, because we're going to largely talk about Peter. I feel like I'm talking really fast, and I did not even have, like... Yeah a Starbucks Nitro this morning. So I'm gonna slow it down. I think I'm just feeling the clock. And we're gonna jump into this. It says in John chapter 21 and verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. This is right after they caught all those fish. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water and swam to shore. Now, if jump down to 15, it says, when they had finished eating, because all the disciples now, they bring the boat with all the fish, they counted them, all that weird fisherman stuff, and they, they jumped in there, and at first 15, they're eating breakfast, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, uh-oh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. There's something interesting that happens in this conversation that we're going to need to pay attention to. He says, do you agape love me more than these? And that Greek word for agape is the highest form of love. It's the greatest type of love. Self-sacrificing, unconditional type of love. It's covenantial type of love. 
Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he didn't say agape, he said phileo. That's the friendship kind of love. It's still good, but it's not agape. Jesus goes on and he says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape, love me. And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You have this incredible encounter here where Peter is faced with that uncomfortable and awkward conversation where his failures are he thinks probably about to be addressed by Jesus. You see, he hasn't really had a personal interaction with Jesus since before the cross. And the last thing that Peter had happened before this absolutely incredible, like the events, the, the events that happened, the last thing before this one, where he had like a personal conversation with Jesus, it was Jesus saying, you're gonna deny me like three times, and Peter's like, no, I'll die for you. And then while Jesus was in the courtyard being punished and whipped and judged by the Jewish religious leaders, uh, Peter was in the courtyard not far away denying Christ. Like somebody had said, hey, don't you, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no, you got, you got the wrong guy. It's not me. You know, I'm not, I don't even know this man. They asked him again, right? Like as they're sitting around these like barrel, I imagine like burn barrels or little fires in this courtyard staying warm and kind of listening in to the proceedings that are, that are going on with Jesus. And don't, no, you were one of his followers, weren't you, Peter? You don't know what you're talking about. That's, you got somebody else. That's not me. I don't, I told you already, I don't know this man. The conversation kind of works around a little bit more, and then again, he is confronted with this. No, I know you. You were one of his followers. We've seen you with him. And at this point, Peter just loses it. I don't know, because of his fear and anger and all that stuff mixed up in his heart. And he like cusses them out. You don't understand, that's not me. I told you already, I got the wrong guy. And he had denied Jesus three times. That was his last encounter. Uh, Peter had messed up bad. And what's interesting is that he could have, he could have chosen to just live in and get stuck in the shame that he felt from that moment. He knew that Jesus knew that he had denied him three times. He could have been like, I am just a loser and I'm full of shame because of my denial of Jesus and just let that shame fill his heart and overwhelm his soul. He could have been stuck in the guilt that he felt, carrying it around like a heavy weight because of that incident with Jesus. He could have said, I'm unworthy, and just left and walked away and checked out. You could do those things too. 
When you look at how you've messed up and your biggest failures and the biggest things that you've gotten wrong, sins, whatever, you could have been stuck in shame, carrying the burden of guilt. You could think, I'm unworthy. God could never love me and just walk away. In fact, a lot of people, when they are faced with the uncomfortable and awkwardness of their failures, choose one of those three things. It would have been reasonable. I would have totally gotten it. Peter was like, yo, (laughs) I don't really think I want to see Jesus. (laughs) I really blew it in like the worst possible fashion. Or Peter, he could have chosen to like be defensive. I've done that plenty of times. (laughs) Maybe you have too. When you're faced with like your failure, you get defensive or you play the blame game. Well, it's not really my fault if the situation wouldn't have worked out this way, if they wouldn't have said it that way, if you wouldn't put me under all this pressure, then I would not have, I should have never been in that situation. Could you imagine like watching this situation? How could you blame me for responding like this when this mess is happening? It was traumatic. We could play the blame game or justify his actions. See, when we're faced with the awkward and uncomfortableness of our failures, our mistakes, our sins, it would be easy to let shame and guilt overwhelm us. It's easier to write ourselves off as unworthy and just run away. It's easy to kind of like go defensive and play the blame game or try to justify our own actions, and what caused those things. Peter had a choice, and you have a choice too. Peter's choice was to like get closer to Jesus. Could have done all these other things, but instead, when faced with that uncomfortable awkwardness of his failure, he chose to push in closer to Jesus. It's an incredible statement for Peter, and it's what I hope I choose and you choose too. When seeing Jesus, instead of letting his shame or his guilt or his memory or, or the, the, the memories of those moments of epic failure overwhelm him, he chooses to just throw on his cloak, jump in the water, and beat the boats to the shore. There was something in him that knew that even in light of his epic failures, what he needed most was just to be close to Jesus. You have a choice too in light of your failures. Are you going to live in shame? Get buried by guilt? Are you gonna just walk away from God because you think he could never forgive you for that and you just build a wall? You have choice in light of your failures too. You could play the blame game, justify yourself, get defensive, or you could choose a different path. A path that acknowledges your epic failures and still has the confidence enough to push closer to Jesus in those awkward and uncomfortable moments. There is... 
strength to be found in our weakness. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, who penned a whole lot of these books of the Bible, was talking about himself, and he called himself the chief of sinners. <laughs> That's really uncomfortable. When you're the preacher, right, like, and you're, you're up here and people have these expectations of you, come on, I try my hardest to tear your expectations down with my outfits every week. <laughs> but I know some of you still have them, you know? Just because of the microphone and the stage. Does, even with all these outfits and sneakers, you're like, you know, like, it's, it's really difficult to stand in a space where people have expectations of you and to admit that you've really messed some stuff up. Most of the time, I write into sermons these transparent moments that admit some of my own weaknesses. I've done it when it comes to my own mental health, my anxiety, different things. I've tried to be open with sharing that stuff with you. I got it, but, I, but here's the confession. I write that in on Monday, and I take it out on Thursday. I'm like, what are you, crazy? Why would you say that to these people? Scratch it, scratch it. It's easier just to hide that part of my life. And then God, like, just won't let me keep it unwritten out of the sermons. And here Paul is, and he's like, to the entire new church, he's like, or to Timothy, the, the young leader of the church, to be read by the church, he's like, I'm the worst. You can't compete with me when it comes to messing it up, failure, being a sinner. Like, I'm the worst one. In Corinthians, he talks about his weakness, and he says, in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, he's talking about it, and he says, he says, Mike, let me just read it so I don't mess it up. He says, in verse 9 of that, but he said to me, talking about God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, there I am, then I am strong. See, I think we miss out on a whole lot of strength that comes through being vulnerable about our failures and transparent about our weaknesses. We think it's the opposite. We think that we're strong if we hide our weaknesses, avoid our failures justify our mistakes and our sins. But that's not where strength is found. The real strength is found in embracing your weaknesses through vulnerability and transparency and letting God meet you and do something new in that space. But you never get to the new thing he wants to do in your life if you too are scared of admitting that you're broken like the rest of us. You see, there's a whole lot of like be your authentic self vibe out there today. Have you heard any of that stuff? Like everywhere you go, there's encouragement. Just be your authentic self. 
Be your authentic self. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm partially on board with that. I think there's some good stuff in that, but I have a real problem. It's a real bummer when being your authentic self means that you're always right and never wrong. You're always okay and never broken. Your decisions always had reason and were never a mistake or sin or failure. That's your authentic self. Your authentic self is not just you do you. Your authentic self is an acknowledgement of who God made you, the beauty he has poured into you, that you are an image bearer of almighty God, that you have value and worth, but it's also admitting your brokenness, your failures, your weakness, your sin. That's all of you. And the strength, the, the true identity that you can have from coming to a place where you no longer have to be, be hiding in shame, where you no longer have to be avoiding because you don't want to go there and it's uncomfortable, where you can acknowledge your own brokenness and failures and at the same time acknowledge that you are valuable and precious to God. That space is beautiful. That space is where you find strength. That space is where you find restoration. We gotta see failure differently. It's not a stop and spot for you. It's not identity defining. Failure is a path that you can take towards defeat or towards strength and growth. It's a path you can take. And that path leads to defeat when you pile on the shame and the guilt and you don't do anything with it, that, that path leads to defeat when you avoid or blame shift or make excuses or justify. That path leads to strength and growth when you can admit your brokenness and through vulnerability and transparency push closer to Jesus, what he has for you when you meet him with your brokenness is better than you think. Peter, he just turned back. He just turned back to the one who he could have easily assumed had the worst things to say about him. He turned back. And his choice was one to just push closer to Jesus. Uh, you see, uh, that's the definition of repentance. It's a turning from. Repentance is one of those words that I think gets a bad rap by church experience. You ever know how some words get a bad rap from church experience? Like flannel graph or like coffee, <laughs> comfortable seats. Like these things, like <laughs> we say they exist, but do they really like <laughs> You know, some, some words get a bad rap, I think, from our church experiences, and words like repentance, I think, get a bad rap from, like, I don't know, preachers that punch pulpits and yell really loud, you know, or, or from faces that judge you just from walking in the door because you look different or act different or dress different or have your tattoo sleeve showing, and, you know, I think sometimes words get certain bad raps. Repentance literally means to turn away from and towards I think sometimes we just think it means to turn away from. But that word is not some sort of like self-inflicted punishment. Like if I just 
feel really bad about myself and repent and confess and make a big scene and somehow that, that makes me okay if I punish myself. Repentance is not about self-punishment. It's a turning from one direction towards another direction. You see, repentance, instead of being like a, I don't like that word, it should be a joyful experience. It's, it's walking off of a path that's leading you to defeat and all kinds of other negative stuff and walking in a new direction with joy towards something new and better. That's what Peter did. It's interesting, there's no record of him going, hey, like we do, right? Like, just like, hey, Jesus. Did you do this before bed? <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> I did so many really stupid things. And I know in church, like, I'm supposed to confess those things to you. So here's the list of all the idiotic things that I did today and all the terror. I flicked that person off at the red light and then I looked at that stuff. and <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there's no record of that. But yet, I still think you see repentance in Peter. Because while Peter had been going in one direction, now you see him heading in a completely new and good direction back towards this Jesus. And what he found there, man, was amazing. They went for a walk. Not a sermon. Not a lecture. Jesus wasn't like, all right, we finished breakfast. Everybody ready? Peter, here's the scroll. Let's talk about it. You know, like, all the things you messed up. Here, here's the list of all the, they just went for a walk. They walked, like they, they were doing life together. It was just a journey they were going on. Like, like you picture two friends after like some difficult stuff. They're a rough day. Kind of saying like, hey, you ate, I ate. Let's just go for a walk together. It's this beautiful picture that, that we find when we turn from whatever garbage we have in our lives towards Jesus. We find his friendship. We find a new journey Towards something good, we find his presence on that new journey. He's not going to lead with condemnation. He leads with his presence. He's not dishing out judgment. He's dishing out love. When I walk, I'm like, all right, so... Uh, when I'm faced with my failures, I like walk, walk it off or walk away. You know, like those are two things that I've felt programmed into my life from childhood. Every time something would go wrong, like I'd get hurt or something, my dad would be like, just walk it off, you know. Walk it off. Just don't rub it. Walk it off. It'll get better if you just walk it off. Or like walk away. There were periods of my life where my mom, because we were so much alike, would really butt heads and there would be tension in that relationship and we worked through all that stuff and had a beautiful relationship but there were moments that were not beautiful that were a complete mess and my dad would be like just walk away right like just shut your mouth and walk away this is gonna get really bad really fast 
He probably was thinking, you're a fool, you know, your mom's right most of the time, maybe not all the time. Walk it off or walk away. And really, the new way, the new thing that I have to learn is not to walk it off on my own or just walk away from my problems. See, the new thing that I'm learning is to just walk toward restoration. Whatever's broken in your life, whatever failures you have, you don't have to get stuck there. You can walk towards restoration in your marriage. Walk towards restoration when it comes to your personal failures. You can walk to restoration with the relationships that you have hurt because you have made some pretty foolish decisions or said some pretty dumb things from time to time. Which way are you going to walk in light of your failures? They just are walking towards restoration. I love it. They have a conversation that needed to happen. Business that needed to be dealt with. Like what I'm not saying here is that we just take our sins and our failures and our mistakes and just go, oh, good. I don't, I just ignore those things. No, there was a conversation that needed to happen with them and Jesus. If you've been carrying those things, the, the real freedom comes from admitting your weaknesses, your failures, your sins, and having a conversation with Jesus where you experience and accept his forgiveness and let him make you new. They had business they had to talk about and not talking about it, trying to forget, would not have done anybody any good. This conversation was about to happen, not for Jesus' benefit, but for Peter's benefit, to free Peter, to allow Peter to step into new purpose and worth and meaning in his life. So they have this thing, right, where Jesus is like, do you agape love me? The highest kind of love, the best kind of love, unconditional, covenantial kind of love, a kind of love that isn't dependent on what you do or what you say or how you behave. It's just there for you unconditionally, always. It's the highest kind of love. It's the kind of love Jesus has for us that it says he demonstrated on the cross for us. It's the kind of love God calls us to have to with each other, even though it's extremely difficult for us to do that. And he says, do you agape love me? Do you love me like I love you? And Peter's response isn't all the way there. He's like, uh, sort of. I want to, but I'm not sure if I can go there. Last time I stepped out on the ledge and said, yes, it didn't end good. So for whatever reason, Peter's like, I phileo you, which sounds really weird when you don't use the English and you use the Greek. What phileo you? Sounds like something you do with a spatula. <laughs> I don't know if I can love you like that. Oh, but God wants all of you. 100%. You gotta give him everything. Not Peter. I can get my heart partway there, but I don't know if I can. I might mess it all up. I'm gonna disappoint you if I say agape. So I'm just gonna say phileo. 
a friendship love you. Still good love. It's a great love, but it's not agape. Jesus, the second time, after he says, feed my sheep, right? Like, second time, do you agape love me, Peter? frustration like he's got to be sinking in the disappointment he's probably like looking down at his feet at this point like thinking I should have wore shoes why didn't anybody invent shoes yet this is uncomfortable walking everywhere in Birkenstocks (laughs) oh he's probably looking down in disappointment right like man I am such a loser I can't do it Jesus I don't you know that I love you I don't know if I can go there And then the third time Jesus says, after he says, feed my sheep, that's important too. Hey, Peter, do you phileo love me? You know I phileo love you. See, in this beautiful moment and picture, what you see is Jesus meeting someone who had just failed right where they are. Didn't have to dress it up at church. Didn't have to memorize all the worship songs. Didn't have to preach a sermon to all their friends. Oh, you can't get all the way there? That's okay. He'll meet you where you are. You can't give him 100%? He'll meet you where you are. You don't have the energy? (laughs) You're afraid of failing again? He'll meet you right there in that fear. In your exhaustion, in your disappointment, in your depression, in your anxiety, in your failure, in your weakness. He'll meet you where you are and what he dishes out is grace. It's grace. If you journey with him, your love will grow into something greater. Just give him whatever little bit of love you got. Change your direction. Walk a path towards him. You do not have to fear what he will meet you with when you come to him with your failures and your mistakes. He will meet you with grace. His grace is what wins. His grace is everything you need. His grace is what draws us to him. His grace is what enables us to have a new identity. His grace is what gives us a new outlook on life. His grace is what covers our sins. His grace is what makes us part of his family. You are saved by grace through faith, scripture said. This grace is his unmerited Favor and pardon towards you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to change it. He loves you and likes you as you are. He offers you unmerited and pardon that when you bring him your brokenness and your sin and your failures and your mistakes, he will separate them from you as far as the east is from the west. He will wash you new when you confess those things to him and turn back to him in repentance, setting a new direction for your life. He will make you new. His grace wins the story. And your purpose is how you move forward. Maybe you've accepted his grace, but you still feel empty. It's interesting that he met Peter, and he said, 
man, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to give you a lot of grace. You know I love you. But now you have a purpose to step into. I think there's a whole lot of Christians that maybe understand grace but are stuck in life because they have never stepped from breakfast on a Sunday morning together into their purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace, your goodness to us, for this incredible story of restoration with Peter. Just pray that you would help us to come to new terms with your grace, not to hide our sins and failures and mistakes and not to live in shame or guilt or carry that needless burden. You say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That You say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I pray that all of us wouldn't be hiding our weakness but be vulnerable enough to bring those things to you and ask you to meet us in that space and set a new course for our lives. There's lots of people probably here in Tremont that have understood your grace but still feel stuck because they're just eating breakfast on a Sunday morning every week and never really stepped into their purpose. I pray that you'd help us to have the courage to take that step of faith and realize that you've called us to something far greater than just being passive participants in life. Thank you for your love, for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.